Well, good morning again. See, we are we already talked once. That's okay. Hey, uh, welcome to week two of our series called Move. Uh, what we started talking about last week, what we're going to be talking about next week as well. This is a it's a three week series. Um, is this this idea um, that that we want to take hold of and make the most of every opportunity that we have available to us. Now, before, before I get into the, to the message content for today, before we dig into any of that, I want to let you guys know um, just something kind of cool, something a little more sp- about a, a specific ministry here at Fusion City Church that we're really, really excited about, and that's our student ministry. Um, I, don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys can see very well, kind of the way we do the flashy, fancy color lights and that kind of stuff, uh, but the guy that we have playing drums for us this morning is one of our students here named DJ. DJ is a rising senior this year, and I don't know about you, but I think he just killed it this morning. Can we, just, can we give it up for DJ? Yeah, I, I thought he did a really remarkable job. And not only, not only was DJ hanging out on the drums with us, but the guy that's playing lead guitar for us this morning, his name is Micah. Micah's one of our student leaders here. He, he hangs out and, and works with and kind of pours some love on, like those students that come in this week. And I'm just, I personally and we as a church are very excited about what God is doing in, uh, in, in the lives of our students. Now, we're, we're kind of taking on this new philosophy, right? Like a couple years ago or, or, or several years ago, this idea was that uh, students were the future of the church. All right? No. <laughs> that, that's not true at all. Students are the church. Like, they're, they're the current. And so we, you, you're going to see a lot more from our student ministry as far as students being on stage with us, student volu- students volunteering, all that other kind of stuff. As we transition into becoming Fusion City Church, you're going to see a lot more from our student ministry, and we're really, really excited about that because they are the now. Yeah, we can give it up for student ministry. We got one person clapping. We need to get all of us clapping because we're excited about what God is doing in the lives of our students. Now, like I said, we are in week two of a three-week series called Move, and the idea, the premise, the principle behind this series is that God, is our life being made up of moments. That we, we don't really know when, when a moment is going to turn into something significant or, or monumental. We said last week that for all of our lives and in all of our lives, we could probably write the story of our life in almost an outline format of five or six life-changing, definable moments. And so we want to, we as, as believers and, and non-believers alike, we want to make the most of every opportunity that's laid before us so that we don't miss an opportunity to, to change our lives for the better in a significant way. There's, a, there's a, a key verse in scripture that I want us to base our time together today off of and last week and next week in this, this whole series. It's found in the book of Ephesians and it says this, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Verses 15 through 17. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. That seems kind of self-explanatory. None of us want to be a fool. We want to live like people who are wise. Verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, we, we said last week, we kind of concluded our time last week. If you were with us last week, we talked about Saul and, and Jonathan. We talked about how Saul, King Saul, got to a place where he didn't know what God wanted him to do. He didn't have any clarity about the things that, that he felt like God wanted him to do. And so because he didn't have clarity and because he didn't know what to do, he decided to just do nothing. 
And we learned last week that that's not what God wants from us, that God wants us to be actively working towards doing something. Even if we're in the in kind of the, the seek and find stage, that that's still doing something. But we never want our lives to be characterized by just sitting back and waiting for life to happen to us. We want to be engaged with and active in life. We want to, we want to seize the moment, kind of carpe diem, seize the day type mentality and I know that's a Latin phrase and it's real popular but we just read it in Ephesians chapter 5 so not only is it is it Latin and popular but it's biblical all right we want to make the most of every opportunity that we have and last we learned like from Saul that doing nothing man that's not an option God doesn't want that from us God doesn't want us to do nothing God wants us to do something and to be actively engaged in in seeking out the decision that he wants us to make and then I think we can add a short portion to the end of that verse like understand what it is that the lord wants you to do and then kind of we could add to that and then go do it like just understanding what god wants you to do that's only half of it we want to understand what god wants us to do and then do it like it sounds so simple and it sounds exactly what you think you would hear coming into a church Find out what God says that he wants you to do and then go do it we we, we talked about that last week that it's it sounds so simple but it's so hard it's so hard to just understand what it is that God wants us to do. Sometimes we have trouble in the understanding part. And we talked last week that that's where Saul was. Saul didn't know what God wanted him to do, so he just did nothing. But I think there's another element to that that I want to talk about today. And that is that even when we know what to do, even when we know what the right thing is, even when we know what God is leading us to do, sometimes that can be scary enough for even us to, to know what we want to do and still not do it. And here's why. Here's, here's why we do that. Here's why we can know, no, 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 know what it is that God wants us to do and still not want to do it. Here's why. Because we want to be in control, don't we? Do you hands like this? Yes, yes, we want to be in control. We crave being in control. The, the reality of entering into a situation that I do not know the outcome of is terrifying for me. And I'm sure that it's terrifying for you as well. We like to be in control. And when we are not in control, we freak out a little bit. That's why, guys, think about this. Remember with me if you're a married guy in the room. Remember with me your proposal to your bride. Now, if you did it right, there's a wrong way to propose. But if you did it right, you probably tried to create a moment, an atmosphere, an an environment, something that was romantic and inspiring and moving and overwhelming and and, and all those other adjectives that I can't think of right now. Like you you wanted to make it special. And here's why. Because you wanted to create an environment in which it was impossible for her to say no. Uh, am I right? I know I'm right because here's, here's, here's the story you get to tell in the event that she says no. Man, I pulled out all the stops. I did everything I could possibly do. I set it up like this. I, I picked the place. I set the mood. I got the lighting. I had the music. I had the ring. I was on one knee, re- beautifully rehearsed speech. And can you believe she said no? Nah, man, I can't believe she said no. That's terrible. What a horrible person she is. Like, and I want her to know that that's what people are going to think if she says no. That way I get to control the outcome of the situation. Y'all see how that works? If I can, make the, if I can set the scene, then I can control the outcome, and that's what I like. I like being in control 
of the outcome. We all do. And when we come upon or into a situation where we don't know the outcome or when the outcome looks like it's going to be something that we don't want, we can even find ourselves in disobedience to God. Even when we know what God led us to do, God told us to do. If we think the outcome is going to turn out to a way that we don't want, we'll tell God no. And that's bad. Now, that's bad. Like, just way bad. Like, a lot bad. Here's good, good news, bad news. All right? Good news, we are not the first people to get this wrong. All right? To, we are not the first people to want to be in control. We are not the first people to look at our situation and our circumstances and say, God, I don't think I really want to do that even though I know you told me to do it. We are not the first people to do that. That's the good news. We, can, we have somebody in Scripture that we can identify with, that we can relate to. Here's the bad news. It didn't turn out real good for them, and it won't turn out real good for us either. All right? So that's the bad news. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at that together. We can find that account, that story in the book of Numbers. Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible. Open the, open the cover, hang a right, go four books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then you're in Numbers, and find chapter 13. We're going to be in the book of Numbers, chapter 13. Now, before we get into Numbers 13, I've got to give you a little bit of setup about what we're going to talk about together in Numbers 13. Now, long before Numbers 13, God had a, a relationship with one of kind of the patriarchs of the, the Jewish nation, Abraham. Now, Abraham was given a promise by God. First, that he would be the father of a great nation, that, that all of his descendants, right? I am one of them, and so are you. You remember the song, like Father Abraham? So we got Father Abraham, and then all of the, the, the nation of Israel are his descendants and his children, and God made them a promise that one day that the nation of Israel would inhabit this incredible piece of property in the land called Canaan. It was called, we, we typically refer to it as the promised land because God gave Abraham a promise that one day your people are going to inhabit this land. He made him a promise. We call it the promised land. Y'all see how we got there? All right, good. So this is the promised land. It's the land of Canaan. Now, prior to or between God making Abraham the promise that, we would, that the nation of Israel would one day inhabit this land and their actual taking control of it, the nation of Israel was enslaved to the Egyptians. The Egyptians were the slave owners of the Jewish Hebrew people. They were slaves, and they existed as slaves for 400 years. Long time. So for 400 years, the nation of Israel has been slaves. And if you guys are familiar with Bible history at all, you know that like Moses went to Pharaoh and said, whoa, whoa, let my people go. Y'all remember the song from Vacation Bible School, right? The children's song. If you don't, Y'all should go to Bible school. It's cool. All right, so like, you know, so Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, God told me to tell you to let his people out of slavery. They're going to be his people, and I'm going to take them to the promised land. And then Pharaoh was like, no. And then Moses was like, well, yeah, you better. And then Moses, Pharaoh was like, nah. And then God said, okay, well, fine. If you're not going to listen, then this is the, the brine translation. All right, so like, if you're not, then, then God lays the smack down on the nation of Egypt until they finally say, uncle, they give in. Pharaoh says, okay, fine. I'm tired of getting beat up on by God, so I'm going to let the people go. The people get let go. And then Moses now is the leader of the nation of Israel. Y'all keep up. All right, and Moses with the nation of Israel walks them through the wilderness, through the desert. And they're standing now, as we begin reading in Numbers 13, on the precipice of taking hold of the land that God promised the nation of Israel, the land of Canaan. Y'all got the story. 
400 years of slavery. They leave Egypt. They walk through the desert. They're standing outside of the promised land. Cue Numbers 13. Let's, keep, let's start reading together. Numbers 13, verse 1. Now the Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan. All right, so before you go in, send some guys in to check it out. Send out men to explore the land of Canaan. The land I am giving to the Israelites. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, I want you to, if, you, you wanted to, if you're one of the mark in your Bible people, make a mark in your Bible, make a mark in you. I heard a pastor say that one time. All right, so if you're a mark in your Bible type person, you need to underline that phrase. The land I am giving to the Israelites. Underline it, star it, circle it. We, we need to remember that for the rest of our time together here today. You, we all need to remember that as we understand the context of Scripture. We're going to come back to that because our perception today is going to be from the perspective of the Israelite nation. God says, go to the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. No condition. No, I'm going to give it to you when you do this. No, I'll give it to you if, just, I'm going to give it to you. Y'all, y'all with me? Like, y'all, like I'm going to make a big deal out of this today. I want to make sure you get it before we move on. All right? The land, it's a promise. God said, I promise. I'm going to give it to you. Go take it. I'm giving it to you. We good, right? Y'all, y'all tracking. All right, good. All right, let's move on. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. Now, in in verses 4 through 16, we get the name and the tribe of every person that Moses sent in to check out the land of Canaan. It's not irrelevant, but for the purposes of what we're talking about today... I didn't want to have to try and pronounce all those names. So we're just going to jump down to verse 17, if y'all will forgive me and allow me to do so. Verse 17, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. Now, in verses 21 and 22, Moses gives some more instructions with lots of names and places and that kind of stuff. So we're just going to kind of skip through that for the sake of time and skip down to verse 23. And it says, When they came to the valley of Eskel, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. That's some big grapes. That is basketball-sized grapes. One cluster was so heavy, they had to stick it on a pole, and two men had to... That's a big bunch of grapes, y'all. I, I, I like grapes, so I get excited about that. Let's keep reading. Verse 20, um, 25. Or 24, the place is called the Valley of Eskel, which means cluster because of the cluster of grapes the Israelite men cut there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. 
This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country and a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. Basketball-sized grapes. Like, check it out, Moses. Like, this is the kind of stuff we could be eating on if we were in the land of Canaan. But, it, but, but they're not that excited about it. But, like, it's a great land. They got huge grapes. It's awesome. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's awesome. But, but, the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites, and Mosquito Bites. They all live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along, there's lots of ites. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. In, in other words, here, here's the report. Here, here's what the, the men who came back from, from going into the, the promised land said. Man, that place is great. Man, it's great. Milk and honey and produce and the land, the, the, foil, the, the soil is fertile and the grapes are big and the fruit is awesome. Man, it's great, but we can't go in. Because then people in there are huge and their towns are fortified. They've got walls that we can't penetrate. They've got, like, it's impossible for us to survive if we try to take this land. And we, gotta, we, we have to to put ourselves in the shoes of the, the rest of the Israelite nation that's hearing this report, come back from the men that checked it out. And all of a sudden, this promised land, this, this, this land that God had guaranteed that they, would, they were going to leave Egypt, he was going to walk them through the wilderness, and he was going to send them into this country. Everything that they've been waiting for is already taken. And not only is it taken, but it's taken by people that they don't think they can defeat. This is hopeless. But, but didn't God say, I'm going to give you the land? Right? Y'all remember that thing I made a big deal out of earlier? What did God say? God says, the land I am giving you is, is yours. Like, I'm going to give it to you. Somebody remembers that. It's Caleb. Look what Caleb says. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. That's what they thought too. And that's the end of chapter 13. Let's pick up the, the first couple of verses of chapter 14 in the book of Numbers. It says, And the whole community began weeping aloud. And they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. 
why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Yeah, you remember what's in Egypt, right? Slavery. Oppression. No freedom. No control. There's the, this is so much out of our control and so much more than we're willing to undertake. That Here's what we'd rather do than to try and take hold of what God has promised us. Because of what we see, that's impossible. So here's what we would rather do. We'd rather go be slaves again. We'd rather die in the wilderness than fight these men in the land that God said we could have. And they let their perception of the situation determine what they did instead of making the effort to take hold of what God had called them to. As as I look across the the landscape and the fabric of, of my life, as I look across the landscape and the fabric of the lives of the people that I have the opportunity to to, to share life with and to minister to, to counsel with and everything else. If there's, there's one recurring thing that I think takes us out of the opportunity and ability to seize the moments that God has placed in front of us is this. We want to be in control. Even when we know what it is that God wants us, even when we know what's best, even when we know what's right, if it's too hard or if it's going to be too much trouble or if it's going to affect me more negatively than I'm willing to be affected, I'm just going to say no. Like, thanks, but no thanks, God. Here's the problem with that. God knows better than we do. And he should be the one telling us what to do, and we should be the ones doing it. That's why it's right. Because it's God's way, it's the right way. And when we know that, that what God is leading us to is what we're saying no to, then that's when we're in real, real trouble. Let me, let me, let me set it up this way. Let me clear, let's find, clarify. How many of y'all like going to the dentist? Right, like two, that's two hands per service. A couple of weird people in each service. That's okay. God wired all of us differently. You are more than welcome to enjoy the, the dentist, even as weird as that makes you. Um, I, on, on, personally, I do not. I do not enjoy going to the dentist. I have two sides to my mouth. If one of them begins to hurt, I'll just chew on the other side. Like, I, like I'll put off. Go, now, I know, now, I know, I know, I know. I know going to the dentist is the right thing to do. It may, you get an you ache in your mouth, you go to the dentist, they fix you up, you're good. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. I don't like going. I don't like the dentist. And here's why. My mouth, I love to talk. I mean, y'all know that. Um, <laughs> I love to talk. This is a, this is a, like a, this, this little, like this four by threes, portion of the bottom half of my face like this is valuable to me i got the talking thing i I got the breathing thing i got the eating thing like a lot of the stuff that i enjoy in my life 
happens like right here. Like this is, I get to kiss my wife with this. Like this is, like there's lots of good things that happen for me. Like right here. Now, when I go to the dentist, I lay in a chair and they all but strap my arms down. Right? Like you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to, you know, <laughs> while they're working, you can't, you can't swat. Like you got to keep your arms down. And so here I am laying exposed, mouth wide open, sharp, pointy things in my mouth, metal, like picking around in my teeth and all this stuff going. Like, like, and, I, and I'm out of control. Somebody else is working on and poking around in an area of my life that I very much value. And I am completely out of control in that moment. And I don't like it. I don't like it. If I could do my own dentistry, I would do it. Because I like to be in control. And I don't like that the thought of somebody else. Now, now, you and I both know me doing my own dentistry is a bad idea. As much as I want to be in control, as much as I want to have the control over what takes place in here, like, that is not the right thing to do. And the same is true with God. Our lives are better, in the same way that your teeth are better cared for by a dentist, your life is better cared for by the God that gave it to you. You see, we, we, we talk about God as creator, right? God created everything that we can see. But, but, but here's the term, the term I prefer more than I, than, I, more than I like the term creator. I like the term designer. God has designed creation. God has designed my life. I was not created merely to exist. I was created to feel alive. And it is, it is the, the designer, the life giver that determines my purpose. It is the designer that, that determines how I exist and how I feel alive. He is the one better tasked with making the changes to my life than me. Here's, here's the problem that we run into. It's the same thing that we see taking place with the nation of Israel. When we come up against opposition in our life, when we come up against a problem, our initial thought as it pertains to God directing the pattern and the flow of our lives is that when we come up against an obstacle, we think, oh, this must mean that God isn't in this. That if I'm having all this difficulty and trouble and struggle, and I, if, I, if I'm having a hard time doing these things that I, thought, that, I, that I thought or I knew God was telling me to do, then obviously God must not be the one that told me to do it. And that's a lie. The Bible tells us that, that our enemy, Satan, is a, he's a liar. I have a pastor friend of mine that says, that every mistake that we make, every sin that we commit, every way that we fall short in our life can be directly tied to some lie that we believe. And our enemy Satan wants nothing more than for you and I to believe the lie that there's a better way to do things outside of the way that God wants us to do them. Or he wants us to believe that every obstacle or, 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 or Anything that we come up against in our life is God telling us that we shouldn't be doing the things that we know God told us to do. God told the nation of Israel, I'm giving you this land. Go, go take it. It's yours. You can have it. And they looked at the obstacles and said, well, surely that's not what God wanted us to do. He just told you that's what he wanted you to do. 
He just said, it's the land I'm giving you. Go take it. And they said, well, surely that's not what God said. He just said it. And for you and me to come face to face with the things that God wants us to do and then look at the circumstances of the situation around it and say, well, surely this is not what God told me to do, is a lie. And if Satan can get us to believe that lie, he can keep us from embracing and engaging everything that God wants for our lives. If you're taking notes, if you're following along with this, I'd ask you to, to write this down. And you already know it. But great things seldom come easily. Great things seldom come easily. When it comes to to moving in step with God, when it comes to seizing the moments in life that God has given us, here's what we need to remember. Very seldom do difficult things come easily. The problem is that just like the nation of Israel, the first obstacle that we, that we come up to, the first time we come up to a, a situation where we can't determine or control the outcome, kind of like my proposal, like if, if I can't control the outcome, then I don't want to have anything to do with it whatsoever. And we make the mistake of believing the lie that if this is hard, then God isn't in it. And it's a lie. Here's what you got to know about God. God is passionate about his glory. God wants to be, desires to be glorified. And the way that God gets glory is when you and I, despite seemingly difficult or impossible circumstances, overcome through his guidance and strength. Then, we, then God gets the credit and God gets the glory. Now, if we take this lie that Satan tells us that when things are difficult, that God can't be in it, if we begin to believe that and apply it to different areas of our life, we see how easily it breaks down. For example, if you want to have a great marriage, if you want to have a great, thriving, fulfilling, passionate, successful, do-life-together type marriage, you got to do some things that are hard. you got to commit to another individual for life. Like, for, like, till you die. That's a long time. That's a huge commitment. That's a hard decision to make. You have to commit to being faithful to that person for life. That means just you and them playing kissy face for the rest of your life. Nobody else. Just them. That's a big deal. You being an an innately selfish, born, made, created, born into a world, sinful, selfish person has to commit to putting somebody else's needs above your own for life. Now, I'm selfish. I love me. And you love you. Being selfish, we're all born that way. If you don't believe that, go work with our kids. Some selfish boogers back there. We're born that way. God, we, we, nobody, nobody makes us that way. We're born that way. We don't learn that. You were born selfish. To commit to putting somebody else's needs above yours for the rest of your life, that's hard. It's hard. 
And by the logic that the nation of Israel used to make the decision to go back to slavery, every time something is hard, apparently God isn't in it. Now, you can't tell me that God isn't in a marriage where you are completely faithful, committed, and put the needs of your spouse above your own for life because the Bible says that that's what a godly marriage looks like. God is in a marriage like that. And when we make the decision to do the hard things because God said so, the result greatly benefits us. As a result of making the difficult decisions to be faithful and to love our spouse above ourselves, we get to exist in a marriage that other people look at and want. We get to exist in a marriage that's thriving, that's fulfilling, that's passionate. And it's wonderful. And here's how God gets glory from that. And somebody else looks at my marriage or your marriage being done God's way, and they, and they look at their own marriage and they say, well, man, my, my wife and I, we, we, don't, we don't think about each other the same way you and your wife do. Like, how? How did you do that? How did, how did you get a marriage like this? And when they find out that the answer is, oh, we just we did it God's way then God gets the glory. And God is passionate about his glory. Students, think about this. Now, I know I'm, I'm old. Like, high school for me was a long time ago. We're coming up on 20-year reunion in a couple years. I'm old. I get it. But I remember pieces Here's what I remember about high school. Man, back then, high school was the pinnacle of life. Like, I knew that career and college and marriage and family and bills and, yeah, I knew all that stuff was coming, but it felt like another lifetime away. I know. Like, you, you know what's there, but you don't really know what's there because you ain't there yet. Listen, for, listen to the old guy. All right, so here, here's, what we, here's what I tended to do. Here's what I think a lot of, of students and teenagers tend to do now. We had this phrase in high school. Maybe it's, st- maybe it's still relevant and cool. If it's not, a little grace, all right? Live in the moment, right? Live it up. Like, enjoy your youth. Be dumb. You can make responsible decisions later. Just, man, just, like, make the stupid decisions now so that you get it out of your system and make, you can make the smart decisions later. Like, live in the moment. Enjoy it. No. All right? And here's why no. Because that's not God's plan for your life. God doesn't want that for you. We we just talked a couple weeks ago. We read Colossians 3.23, and we said that everything that we do, and whatever we do, it should be done as if we're working for God as our focus, right? And that includes students. Imagine with me a life for a student. Now, it's, it's a stretch. Hang with me. Where you keep your head down, work hard, stay focused, stay out of trouble, right? Do those things and then transition into life a little later ahead of the game and ahead of the curve. I didn't do that. Listen to the old guy. Do well now so you can do better 
later. And then all the people that are living in the moment right now and enjoying life and, and all the people that are believing the lie that, that they can make all the dumb decisions they want to now because later they can be responsible, they're going to be the ones coming to you asking for the job because you're going to be the boss. And when they begin to think to themselves, man, I wonder how it turned out for that guy so much better than it turned out for me. When they begin to ask that question, they begin to realize that the reason that you were that weird kid in high school that just didn't go to all the parties and studied well and did all the things that they were supposed to do because God said so, and now as a result of what God, you understanding what God wanted you to do and doing it, now you get to experience the benefit of a life that's, that's successful and is connected to Him and that's fruitful and beneficial, then they're going to want that. And as a result, they're going to want God. And in that moment, God gets the credit, and God gets the glory, and God is passionate about his glory. See, that's how it works. Satan Satan wants us to think that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy trying to hold us back and keep us from things, but those are the lies. Those are the lies that hold us back. But think about what the life looks like where we stop pulling back on the reins from the things that God is trying to lead us into. Think about the life where we seek out what it is that God wants us to do and we just go do it. We just go do it. Here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Here's the question we all have to ask ourselves. What are the areas of my life where I know what the right thing is? I know what God wants me to do. I know the things that God is leading me into. But I don't want to do it, either because it's scary or because it's hard or because that doesn't look like a whole lot of fun or whatever. What, there's, a, there's a myriad of reasons that keeps us from doing the things that we know God is telling us to do. But whatever they are, are the result of some lie that we're believing that there's a better life for us outside of what God wants for us, and it's just not true. So what are the areas in your life that you're pulling back the reins on? And I want you to imagine what it looks like to have a life where we just step boldly and confidently into whatever it is that God tells us to do, and then do it. And do it. What does that look like for you? And I want to think about, especially right now, as, as we transition together as, as a church from, from High Rock to Fusion City, from being multi-site to independent. And what does that look like for us as a church? What does that look like for us? Can I, can I um, just for a minute, like I told you at the beginning of the service, like we're all family. Like we, we, we think of ourselves as family. Can I, can I just stop teaching for a minute? And can I just talk to my, my brothers and sisters as just, as just me, just Brian, not Pastor Brian, just plain, plain old Brian for a minute. This transition has been hard. Like we, we know that God is behind the decisions that we've made. We, we know that God is the one leading the ship. And we have known that, that this is what God is calling us into and that this is something special. And we, we knew that. But, but throughout this whole process, man, it's been hard. There have been people that told us that what we were doing was wrong. 
and we shouldn't do it, and we don't know what we're doing, and we haven't thought about everything. And I mean, it's, it's been hard. But we know what God said. So as a church, we've made the commitment to just step into what God is leading us into. And it, might, it is hard. There is stuff we didn't think about. There's, there's stuff we've come up against. We're like, oh, we didn't think about that. Like there, it's been hard. It been is. It's, a, it's not a past tense. It's a current tense. It is hard. But it is God that has called us to this. And because it is God that's called us to this, we can't lose. And I, 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 as one of the pastors, I'm trying to take my cues from the nation of Israel. Okay, it might be hard, but God said, I'm giving it to you. I want you to do it. It's my plan. It's my purpose. God said, it don't matter what everybody else says. And it doesn't matter how hard it is. And it doesn't matter how much fun I'm not having <laughs> right now as a pastor. Like, None of that matters. What matters is that God spoke and we listened. And I got to tell you, I'm excited about it. But here's what I also know to be true. The moment that we as a church, especially as a new church, the moment that we allow the circumstances that we can see with our eyes to scare us away from the things that God has called us to is the moment that we fizzle and fail. That is the moment that we will cease to be in God's plan and his favor. The moment that we let our circumstances and our situations dictate to us a decision that's outside of what God wants us to do. So I'm committing, and I hope that you'll commit with us, that we're going to be a church. That no matter how scary it gets, no matter how how difficult the road, we're just going to step where God leads. And as we commit to that individually, as we commit to that together as a church, I believe we can accomplish great things for the kingdom. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had to to come together today, God, and to to learn from from some of your other servants, God. I think it's easy, especially for me, God, sometimes I, I read the Bible and I just... It reads so much like a story, and I get so caught up in the story, God, that I, that I forget that these were real people making real decisions, God. These were people who were scared in the same way that I get scared. Who made the decision that in, the, in a moment of fear to choose what they could control instead of stepping into what you were in control of. And God, we don't want to make the same mistake, either as individuals or as a church. So God, my hope and my prayer is that you would speak clearly into each and every one of our lives, God, so that we can know what it is that you're leading us to, what it is that you've called us to. And then we could do that with confidence, knowing that it is you, Father, that's ultimately in control, and God, it is you who will ultimately get the glory from what takes place. God, would you help us? Because it's not easy. It's so easy to become overwhelmed and concerned with the circumstances that, God, we forget. We forget 
that is you, Father, who is ultimately in control. So, Lord, this morning, as we commit together as individuals to to seek out what it is that you want us to do and do it as we commit together, Father, as a church, to never back down from the things that you've called us to. God, would you give us the faith, the boldness, to surrender those things to you, God, to let go of the control that we cling so tightly to. Because, God, you can't God, you can't do what you want to do in our lives when when we reject what it is that you've called us to, when we choose our way over yours. So God, would you help us to see and hear you clearly? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.